Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Michelle Emerson and Bridget Spackman, and we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. As you probably saw from the title, today's episode is going to be our final episode surrounding teacher burnout. You're probably burnt out of us talking about burnout, but we are going to give you some solutions. We are going to share 10 ways to avoid teacher burnout. So if you're driving, we definitely recommend um, coming back and re-listening to this episode later so that you can take some notes. If you are not driving, go ahead and get a notebook, take your phone, open up the notes app so that you can record all of these little nuggets of tips and information because you don't want to miss them. Yeah, they're going to be good ones, guys. But first, we're going to listen to a TSH from Raquel. Um, Raquel says, my school adds tasks every time we meet, which is twice a week. Okay, before I can finish one task, I have two more things to do. Items tend to be due in about two to three days later. Not quick stuff either. How can I possibly stay on top of my lists and to my times when so many wrenches get thrown in every direction? Michelle? I'm going to give a little tough love because we've heard similar things to this before, Bridget, right? And my question would be, is every single task being thrown at you completely unexpected? Or are these like reminders of tasks you already know that you're going to have to complete? So here's an example. We always had to do two SLOs every year. year. So SLO is student learning objective. Mm -hmm. It would be brought up in a meeting I knew it was coming. I knew I had to do two of them every year. So even though it's coming up in the meeting, it's not really an unexpected task. Like I I knew it was coming. So my questions then become, well, how could you be more proactive in order to get these items done in advance or at least have a head start on them? Or how could you work with like your team teachers or other teachers in your building to collaborate on these items and make them easier to accomplish? I think when people ask for advice in certain areas, they typically already know what the solution is, but then sometimes it's not what they want to hear, right? And I think in situations like this, they think there's some magical plan that's going to allow them to get more done in less time. And I mean, we're constantly giving strategies for increasing efficiency, but ultimately a lot of it comes down to how can you get more done in advance so you have less to do at the time? And how can you ask for help? I know that's not always what we want to hear, but the reason we're telling it to you is because it actually works. Yeah, no, for sure. And we talk a lot about creating a power list each day. Your power list is truly your guide in all of what you're going to do for that time. So I recommend, and I know Michelle has also recommended this, that when you create your power list, just leave one blank um, because you never really know what's going to be thrown at you as a teacher. We all know that those unexpected things will end up coming up. So if you have that one space left there, um, you will you will be able to fill it in with things as it's kind of needs to be done. But as Michelle said, you just really need to be proactive and so in, in just a you know one form of a sense. but yeah, I I just personally find it difficult to believe that schools or districts or or administration administ- I was trying to say administration and yep. administrators at the same time would be throwing all of these tasks at you every single meeting that you had no clue were coming. I just don't find that 
overly believable. I'm a huge supporter of Occam's razor. Do you know what that is, Bridget? No, I don't. Okay. It's essentially the philosophy that the simplest answer is usually the right one. And like we try to overcomplicate things. And so to me, the simplest answer in this case is that these are just tasks that you knew were coming, but you didn't get a head start on them. So it feels like it's all being added onto your plate. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. So over the month of October, we have been discussing in depth, in very much depth, (laughs) teacher burnout. And we looked at our personal journeys. We looked at the sliding scale of burnout. We looked at like the root causes for why we experience burnout. So if you have not already listened to the past three episodes, we highly recommend you go back and listen to them. Episode 093 is our teacher burnout journey. That's definitely the place to start. Then you can move on to episode 094, the teacher burnout sliding scale. We're going to give kind of a better overview of how teacher burnout kind of operates and how it Mm -hmm. works. And then finally, go back and listen to episode 095, The Truth About Teacher Burnout, because spoiler alert, the answer is not self-care. And Bridget and I are really going to dive into the root causes of burnout. Yeah, you know what? I have really enjoyed these last episodes, and I really hope that everybody out there listening has really enjoyed them. I like that we've kind of done this progression and just kind of done this uh, really deep dive. Plus, they've also been a little bit more chatty, which is my favorite (laughs) to kind of listen to. I just, I don't know. I think, I feel like, I hope you guys feel this way, but as you're listening, you're probably thinking, oh, I feel like I'm just talking with like two teacher friends that are, you know, feeling the same things that we're feeling and have experienced the same things, you know, that hopefully you are, are, are not feeling at this moment. So, Today, uh, we want to give you some specific strategies to really help you avoid that teacher burnout and feel successful and happy in your profession. So get ready, guys. We've got a lot of great tips for you. Yes. So for these 10 tips, we are categorizing them within those categories (laughs) that we established in the last episode. So these categories are going to sound familiar. If you want more information on what we mean by these categories, make sure you go back and listen to episode 095. But we are going to start with inefficient workflow. In summary, that just means you're not being as productive as you could be, or you're you're not working effectively. So our first tip or strategy is to establish a morning and an afternoon routine. So first of all, we have two other podcast episodes. They're old ones like OG teaching to the top. Goodies, Michelle. Oldies but goodies. That is true. (laughs) That we talk about creating a morning routine and creating an afternoon routine in more depth. So if you are interested in morning routines, go back and listen to episode 002, (laughs) which is five things that should be a part of every teacher's morning routine. And then when you finish, you can just keep going into episode 003, which is teacher evening routines to de-stress. Why are these important? Why does this help? Well, in terms of a morning routine, it's really going to help you get off on the right foot. We are big believers in like productivity leads to more productivity and inactivity leads to more inactivity. So those days when you like hit the ground running, you end up having a far more productive day than the days where you kind of sleep in and then you slug around to the couch. Like you just don't get as much done. Plus this is going to help you really have a system for getting everything set up for the day. So for example, you can utilize a power list. 
This is something we have talked about for a very long time. Now, actually creating your power list could be part of like your morning routine or your evening routine. So I know Bridget likes to create hers the morning of. I like to create mine the night before. So for Bridget, it's part of her morning routine. For me, it's part of my evening routine. But that's going to help you ensure that you're checking items off of your to-do list rather than having a to-do list that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. We also have a freebie that we would love for you to go and grab. It is the steps to create a successful morning routine. So it's really going to walk you through it step by step. You can head over to teachingonthedouble.com slash zero zero two which is the same number as the podcast episode, you can grab that freebie and really get set up with actually establishing that morning routine. So the second tip we have for you when it comes to your inefficient workflow is to build effective habits. Guys, I feel like we've talked about habits over and over and over again, and it's because we know that it works. Now I'm going to go even further back than what Michelle did with her episode. I'm going to tell you to go to 001, how to create new habits for a successful school year. We talk in depth about how to build these habits um, and how to think really about habits every school year versus thinking about it as like goals. We want to challenge you to create habits that are going to sustain you over a lifetime versus just getting you to a certain point. So we're talking about longevity, sustainability in this sense. So um, coming in January, we're very excited about this. We're like planning super ahead here, but <laughs> we are going to be dedicating the entire month to building habits. So make sure you guys stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast so that you can hear more about habits and how it can really change how you view teaching just in general. But let's talk about why building habits works. How does this really help you? Well, they become part of your routine so that you don't even think about it. If you kind of think in the sense, how often have you like gotten into the car in the morning and you just have driven to work and you got to work, but you don't really remember how you got to work, right? That becomes part of your routine. You've done it so much that it just feels natural. It just feels like another part of the day. And so when we build effective habits, the things that we don't necessarily look forward to, or maybe that we're forgetting, or that you feel kind of like kind of scattered with, you want it to get to that point where it just starts to feel as part of what you need to do. It's just natural. It just kind of comes out in you and building those effective habits really helps with that. It also prevents you from missing those important elements. Okay, let's just be honest, like those pieces that when you feel like either you got really behind because your alarm clock didn't get off in the morning or you got stuck talking with a bunch of teachers about different situations, if you are scattered and stressed in the morning, you're going to start missing elements. But when we build those effective habits and we have that done and it just becomes natural and a part of it, you're always going to remember all of those other pieces that you need to make sure are in place to make your day feel smooth. And then finally, it's going to help to build that discipline. And when we build discipline, we're going to stick with something longer. We're going to make sure we follow it through to the very end, which is then going to allow us to check off those items items on our to-do list. So an example of this is going to be lesson planning routine. And so 
everything that you have um, for the next week is going to be ready by Friday. And so when you have that and you feel good leaving on a Friday, you're going to get to enjoy your weekends a little bit more. And so it's going to relieve some of that stress and you're going to find that you're going to have a better work-life balance as well. So that kind of comes into play here. I feel a lot, Michelle, a lot of the things that we talk about, they're going to mix right? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they all kind of connect. And so you're going to see that if you do this, yes, it's going to help with your inefficient workflow, but I think it also helps in other other categories and areas that we talk about. Yeah. They're kind of all intertwined together. Yeah. So definitely go get the habit tracker that we have for you guys. It is a freebie. Um, You can have it over to teachingonthedouble.com slash 001 to grab that. Now, before we move on to the next category, I just want to highlight something for you all. As we give two tips for each category, you will notice the first tip, the one that I'm sharing is more of a, like, you can do it right now. So thinking back to that last example, you can establish a morning and afternoon routine, like right now. It's, it's not that hard to like come up with a list of what you're going to do and you start doing it. But the second tip that we share for each category is more of like a long-term change. It's not something that happens overnight. So building these effective habits is going to take time. That's kind of more of like your continuation of making these changes. Yeah, good point. So keep that in mind as we go through each of these. Moving on to the next category, no separation between work and life. So this really means that those lines between your work life and your personal life are blurred. And as a result, work ends up bleeding over into your personal life. So the first tip that we have for you is to establish a schedule. So why is this helpful? Well, you know where to be, when, you know what to work on during each chunk of time, and it's really giving you a plan. I mean, that's essentially what your schedule is. It's it's a plan. You're not going to stick to it 100% because life gets in the way, but it at least gives you the direction to go to. It's like a roadmap. You might have to make a detour if there's traffic or a road is closed, but ultimately you have that plan. A schedule is also going to allow you to be more efficient because you have limited time for each responsibility. I actually just saw a quote on Facebook and I did not check to see if the quote is real because, you know, sometimes they just attach a name to it, (laughs) but... I think it was for, it was a quote from Elon Musk, um, which, you know, owner of Tesla. And he was saying something about like, if you give yourself a week to clean your house, it'll take you a week to do it. If you give yourself three hours to clean your house, it'll take you three hours to do it. And so sometimes when we put these time constraints and we limit our time on a certain task, it forces us to be more efficient. A schedule is also going to act as like a visual so you can see where you're spending your time and you can start to see patterns and you can see if a certain responsibility or task is taking up too much time. So for example, are you spending too much time working on lesson plans and you're not spending enough time with your family? So in order to establish this schedule, we recommend using like Google Calendar or another scheduling app. It's going to make it very easy to kind of copy things from day to day. We do recommend first doing just like a brain dump on paper of like all the things you have going on, and then you can kind of plug them into your calendar. So for example, you can list all of your teacher responsibilities. So maybe you do like after school coaching or planning or meetings that you have to attend, get all of those down. Then you can list all your personal responsibilities. So attending your kids' games, family dinner, 
time to go to the gym. You're getting all of those responsibilities down and then you're going to find a time for each one to actually get done because again, that schedule is kind of creating that roadmap for you to be able to follow. Yeah, absolutely. So tip number four for this is going to be to create and stick to boundaries. Now, we've talked a lot about boundaries in the past. We even have an episode, uh, which is 070, how to set boundaries and stick to them, where we go in depth about how to set, how to create that boundary, how to be able to implement it and make sure that you continue to do it over a long period of time. So why do boundaries help? Well, it's a natural way of self-care. When we establish those boundaries, we're turning, we're telling ourselves, you know what? At this time, I'm turning this off and I'm going to now focus on something else. So it's that natural self-care way. It also prevents or limits overworking. So some of the examples that we talked about is that I mentioned that at 345, I was going to be walking out of my classroom every single day. And so that prevented me from taking anything home. I even set a second boundary of I'm not taking stuff with me, right? I'm not going to take grading papers. I'm not going to take student work or anything to look at. My backpack is going to be completely empty when I walk out. I mean, other than my technology. And that's going to be the only thing that I take with me. So I've set those boundaries and that prevents me from having to overwork. When I come home, I get to be home. I don't have the dreaded like scary backpack staring at me saying, you need to do work and you need to grade me kind of feeling. I'm at home. I get to enjoy my family. It also allows you to pursue other passions so that teaching doesn't become an obsession um, because it is very easy for teaching to become an obsession. We want to constantly improve our craft and improve our skill because we want to do well. We want to help our students. And so to help prevent this from becoming an, an obsession, we set those boundaries to keep those limits on everything that we do. So you have to be very clear with the boundaries that you want to have in place. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to leave early. I'm going to go home. Because if you're telling yourself that you're just going to do it without setting those those strict boundaries, you're not going to follow through with it. So you have to be very clear with your boundaries from the very beginning in order for them to really stick and last. So an example of this is that I leave school no later than 15 minutes after my students leave. And guys, that expectation has really stuck from the very first time that I told myself that, yep, this is going to be the boundary that I have and I'm going to stick to it. I have always stuck to it unless like a meeting comes up. But those are going to be things and situations that just kind of arise that you have no control over. Yep. So moving on to the third category, unrealistic expectations. This refers to, as teachers, we tend to have this vision of what we think teaching should be like. And the reality is it doesn't always live up to that. So our tips within this section are really getting you to kind of rework what you think teaching should be like and being able to have more realistic expectations. So tip number five is to do a social media audit. We have a full episode about like social media and kind of how it impacts us as teachers. It is episode 010 or episode 10. Mm -hmm. It is titled how to feel like a good teacher without feeling overwhelmed. And in that episode, we talk a lot about like the social media expectations and how that plays into our confidence as teachers. So we recommend going back, listen to that episode 
But when we refer to a social media audit, that means going through everyone you follow and deciding how each one makes you feel. And ultimately, if they make you feel negative about yourself, you unfollow them. So why does this help? You're not going to be constantly surrounded by people who are triggering negative emotions. I've had times where I open up Instagram and someone will pop up on my feed that I follow. And like, as soon as I see them, it makes me feel like crap about myself. (laughs) So you're kind of eliminating that possibility. You're also going to not have to play the comparison game. So you're not going to look at them and go, well, why am I not like that? How come I can't do that? It's going to really eliminate that. It's also going to help you not feel like you constantly have to change or rework what you're doing. You're going to be more accepting that we're all a work in progress. We're all learning and growing and that's okay. We can make small changes over time, but we don't have to like completely drop what we're doing and rework it because we saw what someone else was doing on social media. So I'm going to give like a fitness example with this because we've talked about this in terms of teaching, but I have always followed quite a few like fitness people on, on Instagram. It's kind of my outlet, like away from teaching like fitness, if you haven't figured that out. And there would be certain people that I would follow who had very like unrealistic representations of what fitness should look like, what workout should look like, what your body should look like, what you should eat, all of that. And so I not only stopped following them, but I also started following new people that had more realistic representations. So there's actually this girl that I follow. She's Australian. Um, Breelin, I think is her actual name. Breelin, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but she does these posts where she kind of does a side by side of like here's the pictures you see on Instagram and then here's what you don't see. And so she'll do kind of like a pose where it's like, oh, Walter. Walter doesn't like it either. Walter, I know it's awful. It is Um, horrible. (laughs) But she'll show like a posed, you know, like way of maneuvering your body where like, yeah, it makes it look like you got big muscles and you got abs and all this other stuff. And then she'll do one like unposed where like, you know, she's got bloating and she's got stretch marks and she's got cellulite and all of this stuff. And when I see it, it just, it makes me feel like, yes, like this is reality. This is what people don't always show. I think I've seen those on Instagram and they're fantastic because it just, it shows you the reality of your body. And it's like, okay, this is what it really looks like. Like there are going to be times when it looks like this and you can change and manipulate it to make it look a certain way. But in reality, Mm -hmm. it's not that way. It's, it's so great. It is a great way to kind of show your real body. Yep. I agree. (laughs) So moving on to uh, tip number six is going to be to focus on one specific area to grow in uh, versus trying to do it all and being a pro at all of it. So why does this end up helping? It allows us to really focus and narrow in on one area versus being overwhelmed with multiple areas. I think we end up saying, you know, I have to be a professional at doing all of these different subject areas, or I've got to be great at all this different content that I have to teach. But in reality, you're putting pressure onto yourself to spend more time researching and working and uh, creating items to try to be the best at everything. We don't have to be the best at everything. 
thing. So instead, focus on one specific area. This also helps to create realistic expectations to be able to achieve and grow as a professional. Um, And then it limits you from being pulled in so many different directions. So an example of this is going to be starting a new grade level and having new standards to teach. If you focus on one area and you grow there, then you can just beg, borrow, and steal from others. So when I first started teaching in fourth grade, I basically told myself like, oh, I'm going to really focus hard on reading. I'm going to teach reading. And I remember I bought a writing curriculum off of Teachers Pay Teachers and I stuck to that writing curriculum. I just did what it told me to do. And it allowed me to kind of free up some of that space of feeling bad because I felt like I wasn't doing everything that I needed to be doing there, but focus it on a different area so that I felt successful and like I was achieving something and doing great things in this one spot. And then as I got a handle of that, I was then able to transfer my my focus and my shift it a little bit to writing. And so it allowed me to kind of to get it slowly but surely versus trying to force all those expectations on me at the very beginning. Yeah. I I think there, again, it's unrealistic expectations. We Mm -hmm. think like, oh, well, I'm just going to grow in all areas all at once and it's going to be great. And that's just not reality. It's not how it works. And again, a lot of this is like through social media, it's portrayed that it should be like that. And it's just not. Yep. Agree. So, That can cause a lot of emotional responses, which is our (laughs) next category. So emotional responses kind of relates to you knowing how you respond in certain situations and being able to be proactive about that. So tip number seven is to track your emotions. Bridget, can I do a little little tease here? Yeah. Okay. Just to let you know. Wait, are you teasing me or who are we teasing? (laughs) Guys, I listen, I've just got to tell y'all, I'm struggling at the moment. I think I have a cold. (laughs) So (laughs) my brain is not functioning all the way. (laughs) That was fantastic. I'm going downhill really fast. (laughs) When I first said it, I was like, oh, yeah, she knows what I'm talking about. And then I very quickly realized I was like, she has no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just going to do it and I'll beg for forgiveness later if you're not okay with it. So Bridget and I have a little something new that we are going to be releasing on Black Friday. Mm. (laughs) So not only are we releasing the 2022 January to December digital planners on Black Friday, mark your calendars, but we have something new that we are introducing and it's going to help you with this tip among many, many other things. We are excited. Stay tuned. Oh yeah. So let's talk a little bit about why (laughs) this helps. Tracking your emotions is going to allow you to see a pattern for when you're experiencing certain emotions. That pattern might be a daily pattern. Like in the morning, I feel this way. At night, I feel this way. It could be weekly. So like on Mondays, I experience certain emotions. Fridays, I experience certain emotions or even monthly. We're going to come back to that. Yeah. This is really going to depend on you and how often your emotions change. Because I think we're all different in that aspect. For some of us, it changes very rapidly. For some of us, it's more of a slow progression. Another reason you should be tracking your emotions is, or yeah, tracking your emotions is that you will begin to feel and be able to like plan around specific times when you know you're going to be more emotional. Mm -hmm. So this in turn is going to allow you to be more proactive and be able to plan things in advance. 
It's also going to allow you to look for long-term trends and changes. And then you're going to be able to better like adapt to those. So let's just kind of give an example. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good one. I feel, listen, I feel like we've been talking about this quite a bit. We have, we have, we have like you and I personally. Yes. 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 So like when we would call each other, we have been talking about this. Mm -hmm. If you're male, just, Sorry. just go with it. But I'm sure it impacts ladies in your life. So it's still yes. worth listening to. The reality is your menstrual cycle can really impact your ability to focus and be able to get work done. There are certain times where you really lose energy and therefore you cannot accomplish as much. And being able to work around this is important. Yeah. So we mentioned those like monthly patterns. You definitely will see that within your menstrual cycle. But then we also mentioned those like long-term trends and changes. And so like your menstrual cycle can change over the course of your life. It's going to be yeah. very different when you're a teenager versus your 20s versus your 30s. Well, yeah. And so- you start to get ready to go into menopause. I am ready for menopause at this moment. <laughs> like I'm just all for it. <laughs> You say that now. I, I know. remember when my mom was going through menopause, it, it was not, it was not a fun time. Well, um, but being able just to see these trends and these patterns and these changes allows you to adapt. So it is yeah. very important to be able to actually track your emotions. Yep. And I think uh, tip number eight goes into a lot about tracking emotions the exact same way, but it's learning about your emotional response cues. Okay. So how does like really understanding how we respond, how we respond emotionally to certain things, how does this help? Well, you can recognize when you're having an emotional response. And I think this has been something that, you know, as an Enneagram four, just being an overly emotional person and attaching emotion to everything around me, um, being able to pick up when I'm having some of those emotional responses is really, really important just for my productivity, for my sanity, for my family, for like everything. It allows you to also separate your emotions from reality. Um, (laughs) I mean, I know that I tend to be a little dramatic, okay? Um, so I, if I'm able to understand and pick up on my cues and realize when I'm responding emotionally, I can help separate that from reality and try to think it through and process it. So this then allows me to step away and think about my emotions, stabilize them before I start to react. Now, am I perfect? No. Am I still going to have those moments where I react Yes, I had one this last like Thursday where I reacted and I was like, dang it, shouldn't have done it that way. But it was my emotion that was coming out of me. But I have been getting much better at that, everyone. So, but the, um, the here's like a prime example of just really understanding my, my emotional response. So my district started off that we were not going to wear masks. Okay. And so we started the year with a lot of these restrictions kind of lifted. 
Um, and we were doing great. All has been well, guys. Like all was great. We had a couple of cases. It wasn't severe. In fact, they were from outside. It wasn't being traced like within the school. So we were all kind of following the other, you know, mitigation procedures that we had put in place, but we weren't wearing masks. So I felt like I had a little bit of what I loved about teaching come back. Like I felt it in me. I was excited. Right, Michelle? Do you remember how excited I was? Like, oh yeah. She could hear it. It was that sense of normalcy. Yeah. She could hear it in my voice. Like I was super excited. I was like, man, it was a great day. My kids are great. I'm so excited. And then my governor came out and mandated masks. I called Michelle absolutely hysterical. (laughs) That was the exact word I was going to (laughs) use. I was hysterical. I really was. I had, you know, it's the, it's the bad cry. It's the, you know, where you can barely breathe. And it was the feeling of I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I can't do this. I've got to quit. I've got to quit. And I remember even telling her, I need to call my principal right now. I've got to call him. (laughs) And sweet Michelle is in her very calm voice trying to talk me off the ledge because man, oh man, was I about to jump. And then we started digging deeper into why I was reacting the way that I was reacting. And it was because I felt like they had given me the normal and they were taking it back slowly but surely because lunches were changing. Oh, I didn't even tell you a special thing has changed too. So specials are changing. The masks were coming back and it just was an overwhelming rush of emotion that just started flooding me. So when we can really start to identify our emotional cues, pull back the layers, you know, like ogres are like onions. So I'm pulling the uh, the layers of the onions back. We can really ensure and, and hear um, and, and track and make changes so that we don't, you know, quit your job randomly like I was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, and we discussed in the last episode, like Bridget is a much more emotionally driven person than I am, but like I still have my challenges when it comes to emotions because for me it comes out more as like being stubborn in certain situations. And so it's hard because as Bridget was like divulging all of this to me and she's talking about quitting, part of me is like, well then do it, just stick it to the man, just quit and show them like, because that's like my stubborn side (laughs) coming out. I didn't quit guys, I'm still teaching, I'm still there, I'm I'm still (laughs) there. doing it sometimes we just have to like run through scenarios to be like well what if you did (laughs) yeah I was like I'm just gonna go live in my in-laws land and just you know not work forever and become a homesteader I was it was dramatic guys it was really bad (laughs) all right so moving on and this is kind of related to that yeah the final category is systemic challenges and A lot of these are things that are not in our control. They are rules, regulations, decisions that are made that are up above beyond us that we do not have direct control over. So our first tip (laughs) is to focus on what's in your control. Now, I know that's kind of easier said than done. It is something that takes a lot of practice. But why is it important? Why does this help? Well, it's going to help you from wasting energy, stressing over things that are out of your control. Like when you stress about something or you have anxiety over something, it is physically impacting your body. And my coach said this to me for powerlifting. He was saying how like 
your body, when it comes to stress, it doesn't know whether that stress is like physical stress from like, I've been working out too much or emotional stress from my job is really getting to me. And he said it it impacts your body the same way. Like stress is stress. So you don't want to waste energy stressing over something that is out of your control. It's something you can't change. Like that literally does not make anything better. In fact, it makes things worse. The second reason that this is important is because you don't want to be left feeling like defeated. And when you focus so much on the things that you can't change, you are left with that very like, oh, well then why am I even doing this? Why does this matter? Like you become Eeyore. That's what I think about. Like you literally become Eeyore. And so rather than focusing on what you can't change or what's out of your control, you have to surround yourself with the things that you can change, the things that are in control. And you have to really choose what's worth fighting over versus what's not. This goes back to the little phrase that Bridget uses a lot. If everything's important, then nothing's important. If you are fighting over all of these things that you can't even control, it's like, okay, everything can't be important to you. You have to really pick and choose what is worth pouring your energy into. So here's an example from like my personal experience. I mentioned how my curriculum had changed and I no longer had creativity or freedom over like what I was teaching. Even though I could not change what I was teaching, I was able to change like how I was actually teaching it. I remember there was this one lesson where we had to literally, this is what was in the curriculum, we had to read like five pages from an old science textbook on erosion. And my poor students are sitting there like, why are we doing, like they were not engaged at all. So even though I could not change that that is what I had to do for that lesson, I could change how I actually taught it. I ended up, (laughs) gosh, thinking back to this, I was essentially reading the pages out loud to my students And I was doing like interpretive dances to show the erosion, like as I was reading the things and talking about like the ice melting and like I had all these hand motions and I was very dramatic, almost like singing it as if it were a song, but I was just reading from the book. And like literally my kids came alive and I've had kids go on to fifth, sixth grade and then they'd come back to see me and they would like bring up that moment. Like it became that memorable for them. And so for me, that was really kind of flipping the switch and choosing to focus on what I could control and I could control how I showed up for my students in the classroom. Even if we had to do something in the curriculum that I did not agree with, I was able to do it in a way that fit my personality. Yeah, that's great. That I would really love to see these interpretive dance we'll we'll talk we'll talk (laughs) all right so the last tip that we have for you and this is a long-term piece is to advocate for change um and why does this really help well it helps you to feel like you're speaking out on issues that are really important to you like you're making a difference right it helps you to feel heard it helps you to feel as though you're taking getting everything that's in your head off of your chest so that it's not weighing on you anymore, but you're saying it out loud. You aren't left wondering what would happen or what could have been different um, by not 
speaking out and not saying things. So some examples, um, and I'm just going to kind of go back to, you know, some of the things that are happening right now with, you know, some of the changes that we've had with our specials and things like that. You know, this coming team leader meeting, I'm going to speak with my principal and we're going to make these issues, you know, we're going to discuss them and say, well, why aren't other things happening? Why, where are other ways that we can end up fixing this as a team? So if you need to, you know, speak with your administration, either one-on-one or in a meeting, if you have that ability to be able to do that. If you don't feel like you're being heard there, attend board meetings, you know, talk with your board members about it, that if you need to sit there and, and kind of voice your concerns there, people need to know, like they don't know what they don't know. So if they don't know that you're not happy with a certain situation, there's no way that somebody's going to be able to fix it, right? It's just like what we tell our kids in our own classes. If you don't tell me something's happening, I can't fix that problem. Mm -hmm. So speak with your administration, speak with other teachers around you, go to attend board meetings if you can attend those board meetings and speak out about it. And if you have to, you know, if the you you can attend those rallies and be able to kind of stand together as one and make your voices heard where you feel as though they need to be heard. Yep. And I think all of that, it's hard for some people. I know like I'm not a confrontational person and that goes back to the whole decide what's important to you. And and that's what you really make a priority because you can't make all of it a priority. This is very important to me, Michelle. So on Monday, I am going to be hurt. (laughs) Go for it, Bridget. I cannot wait for that phone call. I can't. Yes. (laughs) So let's recap our 10 tips for avoiding teacher burnout. And kind of remember, it's like one of them is more of a short-term change and the other one is more of a long-term change. Number one, establish a morning and afternoon routine. Number two, build effective habits. Number three, establish a schedule. Number four, create and stick to boundaries. Number five, do a social media audit. Number six, focus on one specific area to grow in. Number seven, track your emotions. Number eight, learn your emotional response cues. Number nine, focus on what's in your control. And number 10, advocate for change. So we really hope that you guys have enjoyed this journey of understanding teacher burnout in a much deeper sense over the course of this past month. I know Michelle and I have really enjoyed um, recording these different podcasts. They were a little bit more chatty, a little bit more fun, but we were able to really get just a good understanding of why this is happening to help us to be able to prevent it in the long run. Um, So what we would like for you to do now is to head over to our website and submit your time-sucking hurdle. What are maybe some of the things that you've heard in this podcast or things that we've heard in previous podcasts that are sucking up your time so that we can help um, you work past that? Or is there something just personally that's totally sucking up your time? I know that there are some new seasons on Netflix coming out that I'm really excited. You is coming out. Guys, Mm -hmm. I can't. Like... Did you know the circle? Isn't the circle out right now? There's God, another seriously. season? Yes. Oh. Like things are really like this stuff is really going to suck up my time at the moment. <laughs> so I've got to be prepared. I'm going to be proactive. So hopefully I can watch them. All right. So also make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can get notified every time we drop a new episode. And we would love for you to leave a review over on iTunes. It does give us the warm and fuzzies. And we just like hearing from what you guys have to say about it. So be sure to do that. And until next time, be timely, stay organized and be productive. Bye bye. See ya.